Welcome to the Chemical Sensitivity Podcast. I'm Aaron Goodman, host and founder of the podcast. I'm a journalist, documentary maker, university instructor, and communication studies researcher. And I've lived with multiple chemical sensitivity, or MCS, for years. MCS is also known as environmental illness, chemical intolerance, and toxicant-induced loss of tolerance, or TILT, and it affects millions around the world. As you know, many with the condition are dismissed by healthcare workers, employers, friends, even family. Countless people with MCS struggle to find healthy housing and get accommodation at work and school, and we suffer in all kinds of ways. The purpose of the Chemical Sensitivity Podcast is to help raise awareness about MCS and what it's like for people who live with it. We featured interviews with some of the world's leading experts and researchers on MCS, and lots of people with the condition, and we're just getting started. I'm grateful to listeners who support the podcast. If you'd like to make a monthly contribution or a one-time donation, please find links on the website, chemicalsensitivitypodcast.org. Your contributions will help us continue making the podcast available and creating greater awareness about MCS. The podcast belongs to the community. The purpose is to advocate for all of us, and your help means a lot. Thank you very much. Now, this is episode 32. The title is Canary Whiskers, Fragrance-Free Soap. I'm speaking with Rebecca, founder of Canary Whiskers Soap Company that makes completely fragrance-free and essential oil-free cold-processed soap for people with MCS. You'll hear Rebecca talk about how she started the company in 2020 and that it came out of necessity because at the time she was not able to find soap that didn't cause her to have an MCS-related reaction. Rebecca discusses how she draws on over 10 years of soap making to create the Canary Whiskers products and how she sees MCS and fragrance-free soap as an accessibility issue. Rebecca shares how Canary Whiskers soap is different than many products that are labeled unscented and fragrance-free. She talks about how Canary Whiskers tries to make MCS more visible, what it took to start a business as someone who lives with the illness, and her own challenges accessing fragrance-free healthcare, which is something many listeners can relate to, I'm sure. I hope you enjoy the conversation and find it a benefit. We release new episodes twice a month. Please subscribe where you get your podcasts. Find us on social media. Just search for the Chemical Sensitivity Podcast or Podcasting MCS. Leave your comments about anything you hear. We love hearing from you. Find the podcast on YouTube. Just go to YouTube and search for the Chemical Sensitivity Podcast. Click subscribe and you can read captions in any language you like. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's a great way to help others learn about the podcast. And if there's someone you'd like to hear interviewed on the podcast or a topic you'd like us to explore, just let me know. Email info at chemicalsensitivitypodcast.org. And thanks for listening. Well, hi, Rebecca. Thanks so much for taking time to speak with me. No, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. 
A lot I want to talk with you about. Maybe we could start with, um, you know, just for listeners' sake, do you want to say a little bit more about you and maybe if you have any personal lived experience with, with MCS or related illnesses that might be interesting for listeners? My story is pretty basic. It's, um, uh, it reflects a lot of what uh, many MCSers will say is, you know, I started having these reactions, these symptoms that nobody could explain. Um, they started back in, I would say junior high, somewhere back in there. Um, I remember having migraines as early as seven years old and nobody really explained what they were. Nobody could explain what they were. And in my family, you didn't really go to the doctor. It wasn't that we wouldn't, but most things were were dealt with at home. I mean, if you went to the doctor, it's because you had a limb that was about to fall off. That's how it worked. And so I, I just kind of rolled with it uh, through my high school years. And they got worse. These, these unexplained things kept getting worse in my 20s. And then I started piecing together that there was a fragrance component and a pretty severe one that when I avoided fragrances, I didn't have as many of these symptoms. And when I say symptoms, I could go from being completely uh, fine, functional, everything to acting drunk in seconds. And I don't drink, which was very strange. So a lot of like um, uh, discoordination, uh, ataxia, you know, you're tripping over your own feet. Uh, I would lean to the right side. <laughs> I'd have to hold the, the, the right wall so that I didn't smack my body into the right wall as I was walking down halls. It was just, it was kind of a hot mess, <laughs> but I didn't have a pain component. So it was very difficult to piece all of it together. And um, through my work, my day job, I have a decent amount of medical knowledge. And a friend said, I really think you have migraines. And I said, but I don't have pain. And she's like, you know that you can have migraines without pain. Oh, <laughs> there is a realization for you. Um, so that's actually my technical diagnosis is basilar migraines. And um, so what do you do with those? And as it turns out, not much, not for this particular kind of migraine. The only thing you can do is avoid the triggers. Well, when that's the only thing you can do and you're flat on your back in bed for eight days in a row, you're going to get really good at controlling those triggers to stop this process from starting. And uh, so that process was about when I was in my early 30s. And um, I discovered that fragrances and essential oils through that process, those are my kryptonite. And when I am free of those, when I'm not getting triggered by those, I'm fine. Fully functional. I, I do my thing. I, you know, I, um, I have a lot of um, uh, projects that I work on. I'm, I'm productive. I just need to manage those triggers so that I don't set off that cascade that is migraines because it's very difficult to recover from. I didn't even know that MCS was a thing. It's not talked about in the medical community, so I never saw it through my work. And um, it wasn't until, and I'm going to forget the year, probably somewhere around 2000. 
17, 18, something like that, that I even knew there were other people like me. I always thought I was the only one. Um, and I discovered there were other people like me and a lot of us. And um, so that's probably a lot of, of, you know, the same story other people will will tell. I don't know what triggered it. I have no idea. Um, to this day, I still don't know what started it. I just know uh, it's kind of like when you go to the doctor and you say, hey, doc, it hurts when I do this. And they say, stop doing this. Um, you learn to stop doing it. So I, I don't do fragrances and essential oils and I maintain my function. Yeah. Thank you, Rebecca. You mentioned you had um, a job. Do you want to tell people what your former work was? Um, sure. So I have been in the non-clinical side of medicine since the mid-90s. Um, I was a transcriptionist, medical transcriptionist, um, which is always fascinating. And then I um, retrained through an online um, school uh, that specializes in medical coding. And I went on to have my um, uh, medical coding certificates and um, as of recently, I, I was an inpatient coder, which doesn't mean a lot to many people, but I, um, would access, uh, hospital systems and dig through the patient charts to, to assign those codes. So I, you know, if a patient went in for an appendectomy for, for an append, appendicitis, they would have to have an appendectomy. And from the ER to the discharge, I had to read every one of those records um, to be able to sign the codes. And I taught coding as well. But that's where a lot of my medical knowledge comes from, because you have to be extremely educated in those processes to be able to do that job. Understood. And there's a connection because through your work, you mentioned you recognize that multiple chemical sensitivity is not a recognized illness. I honestly cannot say that in 25 years that I remember ever having somebody uh, come across my desk who was designated as having that. Um, more so in my coding work, because in, in transcription, you just have to transcribe it and know what you're transcribing. In coding, you have to go uh, validate that condition with a code and um, there's more digging around. And um, currently in the ICD-10 CM coding system, which is what we use here in the United States, we don't have a code for MCS. There's no way to capture us except with our um, our medical condition. So for me, my medical, medical condition is technically basilar migraines, not MCS. It's just that the uh, reactions to certain chemicals triggers that other condition. Um, yeah. MCS is a colloquial term, and we're just not, nobody knows what to do with us at this point. We're everywhere, but we're nowhere. So it's an odd no man's land to live in. Yeah, it is. And and the illness is real. It's just that mm -hmm. uh, the medical profession, they don't have the training and they don't recognize it. So ultimately, they're treating the, the symptoms of the illness rather than the root of the illness, which is the problem. But I wanted to ask you, as we want to talk, really talk more about your soap making, uh, when did you start making soaps? And uh, when did you start Canary Whiskers? 
Um, Canary Whiskers uh, launched um, on National MCS Day in 2020. So I believe that was May 12th, 2020, uh, right in the pandemic. Um, but it had been in production for about a year before then. But I've been making soap for well over a decade. Yeah. So you had years of soap making before you actually started the company? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a um, necessity as the mother of invention issue. I had learned early on that there were some things I just wasn't going to get from society. <laughs> and when I can't get X anymore, then I go, okay, so if I can't go buy it, how do I do it myself? Do I make it myself? Do How do I do that? Because there's a need. How do I fill that need? And so that's when I learned to make soap was just because I no longer could get safe soap for me personally. Right. So it was out of necessity. You started making it for yourself and then you thought, hey, this could be a a product that could be helpful for others. Yeah. What had happened is I I had been making soap for several years and I actually had, um, I had an instance where I, um, the reason why I started making soap was I had found a uh, soap maker um, you know, who makes soap like I do. And I bought soap from her and it was glorious. It was fragrance free, just like I asked. It was lovely stuff. And uh, so when I reordered, um, it came in and it smelled just horribly like patchouli. I couldn't even open the package. And when I had contacted her, she said, oh, well, it was curing in the same room with a batch of patchouli and my soap had um, absorbed those essential oils, and it made it useless to me. And so I learned to make my own soap, and I was making that for years for for me and my family. And then I learned that there were other people like me. I, I found a Facebook group of MCSers, and, and I went, whoa, there's a lot of people like me. And then it dawned on me that um, a lot of people with MCS can't make their own soap. Sometimes it's um, they can't be around uh, certain of the ingredients for various reasons. They may have different levels of, of disability, like physical disability. You have to be able to, you know, stay attentive to the process for X amount of time. But if you have a short attention span as a result of any number of factors, including MCS, that means the likelihood that you're going to make your own soap is very low. And I'm a firm believer that everybody has something to contribute. And if you see a need and you can uniquely fill that need, everybody's kind of better for you doing that. (laughs) So um, I already knew how to make soap. I found that there were other people like me. And I also have, um, I am completely fragrance-free, essential oil-free, everything. Buddy around me and everything around me, including the air, is completely fragrance free. And that means that my, uh, if I made soap to sell to other MCSers so to meet their needs, then my packaging is going to be fragrance free and the soap is going to remain fragrance free. And, um, that is a unique combination that is not available. So you might find a soap maker who says, oh, well, I'll just make you a batch that's fragrance free, but it's being made on contaminated equipment in a contaminated space. 
by people who are likely wearing fragrances themselves. So anytime any of it touches their, you know, if it rubs against their clothes, it's now contaminated. And I knew that if I made the soap, I could take a lot of that cross-contamination down to almost nothing. And then that product becomes accessible because most people will agree we need soap. We we need to be able to maintain our bodies. And a lot of MCSers just didn't have that option. And um, I think it's a huge fail of society that we don't pay attention to those things. So anyway, long yeah. answer to a very short question. And what kind of products do you make? I mean, people can check out the website and a lot of people are already familiar <laughs> with your products, Canary Whiskers. But for those who, are, who aren't who are informed yet, who aren't aware of your company, Canary Whiskers and the soap you make, what kind of soap do you make? We make what's called cold process soap. It um, uh, Cold process is just the literally the process. It's kind of well, it's, it's literally just bringing together uh, a fatty acid and an alkali solution and um, any extra ingredients that you want to add to it. And it pours out. It looks like cake batter when it pours out and then it uh, saponifies in the mold. And um, so that's the, the process that we use. It's called cold process. And we really make basically three products. We have a full size bar soap and a miniature of that full-size bar soap. And then we have travel sticks. And that's where we stay. That's our wheelhouse. The um, Where a lot of that becomes more useful to the MCS community is uh, how and why we do it. So all of our products are fragrance-free and free of essential oils because I personally, I'm the soap maker, and I can't be around those um, so my safety becomes everybody else's access, which is nice. Um, and then what we did is um, we talked to the MCS community and said, what do you guys need? And the responses were kind of fascinating um, because in the soap making community, going completely vegan is uh, seen as highly desirable but it's actually not. <laughs> Soap for for forever has been made out of whatever oil was available. And each oil will have a different property. But um, so we ended up doing uh, different series. So like our heritage series is the oil used is tallow, uh, beef tallow, the end. Our classic is lard. That's the oil that's used. And that makes vegans cringe. <laughs> and I understand that. But there are people with a thing called salicylate allergies. And those people can't use plant-based soaps because they get reactions. So those people need that animal-based. On the flip side, I also know that uh, people who are vegan aren't going to want those too. So the other three that we have are um, are vegan. And uh, depending on the additive, maybe, you know, one of them might have honey in it. So, you know, obviously that one wouldn't be, but from a base oil standpoint, it would be. Um, so that's uh, the select has coconut oil as its oil base. Signature has a combination of olive oil and coconut oil. 
and the heirloom has olive oil only. And all the oils are as best as we can possibly get them. So they're, you know, like the olive oil is organic, uh, organic extra virgin olive oil. Because in the soap making community, you can get this stuff called pomace, which is the dredge bits of olive that are left over from the other pressing that they add chemicals to. And then it's sold to soapers to make cheaper soap. But the addition of those extra chemicals can cause people like us problems. So um, I avoid all of that and I just go for the best ingredients because it gives us a fighting chance for the soap to be uh, useful to more people with MCS. So we have options for people who are vegan, people with salicylate allergies. We have coconut free options for the same reasons. Um, and we tried to hit combinations that made it accessible to the most people possible. Um, mm-hmm. Even with the ad- uh, additives that we do, we have options for what I call original, which is it's just the soap, nothing more. If you're having reactions and you don't know what they are, go simple. That's the original. Um, but like it, we have a coffee bar in the signature line. We have a coffee bar. And with that, we sourced organic whole beans and we ground them again so that we give people the, uh, the, the fewest chemicals as possible in that process so that it's accessible to more people. Um, and we've stayed there because that's important. The other part is, and the other part is, is that cross contamination is a big deal to people with reactions. Um, so, uh, like we don't have anything with gluten, right? Um, even the oats that we use were sourced organic and gluten free because I didn't want to introduce that into the space. But we actually have each of those five oil lines have their own small wares. Like there, you use um, utensils that you use for cake making, you use for soap making. They call them small wares. So the spatulas and the, um, you know, anything that you're using to, to mix or to uh, cut or wrap or whatever. Every one of those five different oils has the oil combinations has their own small wares so that somebody with a salicylate allergy who needs that animal base there's a lesser chance that they're getting a cross contamination in there. And we make in large small, large batches so that when we're making olive oil soap, that's all we're making. And then when everything is packed up and put away, we clean everything down and then we pull out a different oil base and we make that soap. Um, and that's the process. It's, it's doing those simple things that logically um, are meaningful to the end user. Rebecca, how are people with MCS responding to Canary Whiskers soaps? And do you ship across U.S., Canada, beyond? Uh, I'll start with the shipping, so I don't forget to do that later. Um, right now, we are in the we are in the U.S. We do ship to Canada. We haven't gone beyond that, though. I have made um, if somebody contacted me directly and said. Um, I want to say the person I was talking to was in Germany 
And um, they basically said, I've got a group of people here. And if we place an order like this, I know it's a pain, you know, uh, um, would you would you do a one off to ship to us here? And as long as we agree on the terms, I, I can do that. I mean, we're a small business and I can make those those uh, accommodation requests if all, if the logistics line up. Um, I noticed once you get into some of like the European countries, you end up with taxes on the recipient side that are beyond my control. And that can make it um, oppressively expensive for them to order. I watch it. I hope we can expand out because MCSers don't just live in the United States. We kind of live everywhere. But um, so right now that's that's how shipping is. We are definitely on the website. You can order U.S. and Canada with no, you know, with no problems. And then beyond that, we're, we're just waiting for the logistics to, to let us. How do they respond? Um, in shock and awe sometimes. I can't believe somebody actually did this. Uh, they don't, they don't get any validation that, that their needs are important. They're usually having to, I say they, it's me too. We usually have to beg and plead and fight and, uh, everything's a favor. Can you please, pretty please do this for me? When in reality, a lot of these things are, are, Accommodating people with disabilities is not as difficult as society makes us think if they actually listen to the people who need. So uh, I had people literally tell me that they've cried. Uh, I had one who has that salicylate allergy say that um, they used the the heritage and it was the first time in years that they got out of their the shower and weren't scratching to the point where they were raw. You don't really realize how much the absence of pain equals pleasure until you realize that there are people who head to toe are scratching because of these reactions and can't find a product without that ingredient that's causing that itching. It's it's weird. It's soap. It's so simple, right? But it makes a difference. And I've heard that from, from a lot of the yeah. MCSers. And then we make a travel stick. That was kind of another one of those necessities, the mother of invention. Because when people with MCS go out into the public, and we have varying ability to do that. Uh, my ability to do that is nil. But if you've got an MCSer who, um, and sorry for using such a colloquial term, but if you've got somebody like us who can still go into restaurants, can they wash their hands before they go eat their food? They can't. It's going to smell like fragrance. You just put fragrance on your hand. You know, traveling becomes a nightmare. You, even with the TSA, you can't take liquids on the plane. Um, and so I went, you know, I bet there's a way to make a stick. It's just bar soap and a stick. And then you can stick it in your, uh, your purse, your diaper bag, your glove compartment, wherever. And, um, now people with these reactions can take their safe soap with them. That was huge. We don't get that consideration. You know, if somebody yeah. makes a, a travel soap, it's like, oh, but they added essential oils. They added fragrance. It, we mm -hmm. don't get that kind of um, problem solving. So, I really like how you frame it as an accessibility issue. 
You know, I wasn't expecting to hear that, to hear you say that, but do you view your work in Canary Whiskers as part of an accessible, wider accessibility issue? I do. I do. We have, um, and I'm speaking from the U.S. side of the border, um, in this country, we have um, pretty horrible uh, view of people with disabilities and what their needs are. And Really, uh, people disabled in this country aren't really as much disabled. And I'm speaking of me. Uh, I'm not disabled by my condition. My condition and I get along just fine. I know how it behaves. I know how to optimize uh, my function. I know how to get stuff done. Um, I find that I'm disabled by the inaccessibility of our society much more than I am about anything that's going on internally. And then the question becomes, why? Why is it so difficult to be heard and to have the simplest accommodations that mean the world to you? You know, if I say, um, and and part of it is what products are available. So if I say to a medical um, uh, office, uh, I have this, I have this disability and I need this accommodation. That's how it's worded in the United States. Um, and you find out that they're using fragranced products and fragranced hand soaps. If you're going to a dentist, their hands are right there and you can't wear a mask to protect yourself. And then the next question is, why don't they know to be fragrance free? Do they not think of it? These are healthcare professionals. They should know. And um, sometimes it's kind of like uh, in the United States, we had smoking everywhere for decades. <laughs> smoking was everywhere. And it took this um, accumulated knowledge of the dangers of smoking in confined spaces, how you are impacting the next person. If you're smoking, in the presence of another person, they're smoking too. And a lot of the fragrances actually have that same dynamic. So um, it is an accessibility issue. Um, it's uh, an issue of do we value the disabled in our country enough to include them and make that inclusion at the smallest level? The, you know, the grand gestures like, we think in, in the U.S. anyway that um, a, a facility is accessible if they have a ramp for wheelchair users, okay? But if you put a garbage can at the top of that ramp, you have a ramp, but you're still not accessible. So it's lazy thinking sometimes. We have to actually think about the function of what what is that disabled person trying to accomplish? If they're just trying to accomplish inclusion, you know, I want to go to the movies. I haven't in decades, <laughs> but I would like to go to the movies. Well, if I'm a wheelchair user, that's a ramp. But then the the you know there has to be a place for me to park myself in that wheelchair in that theater. Otherwise the end goal isn't accessible. I still didn't get to you to watch that movie. So, um, you know, for, for me with, with fragrance reactive disability, um, if I want to go to that movie, even if I can get in the front door, which I can't, but if they're pumping fragrance into 
that movie theater. Is that movie accessible? It's not. But they go, but we didn't have an air freshener at the door. And I go, great. That still didn't accomplish the goal. And um, a lot of times the goal isn't inclusion for people with disabilities. So when there's any company who somebody who's disabled can say, look, we're so important that there's an entire company that exists for my needs. It changes the narrative a little bit. And uh, when you're living with MCS, you're kind of accumulating those little wins. Um, So we're kind of part of that in some way, hopefully in a bigger way than I know. But um, you know, we have to be able to be present and um, for a company to exist just for us is part of that awareness and that visibility of an illness that generally speaking, isn't visible. When we spoke briefly before we talked about what is the difference between, you know, because many of us know soaps that are made by the big companies, right? Big companies that that may or may not work for us, but they're sort of our go-tos, you know, um, broadly speaking, what are some of the differences between Canary Whiskers, your soaps and something that's labeled fragrance free? Uh, and you mentioned before that oftentimes it's an afterthought for those bigger commercial enterprises. Do you want to talk a little bit more about what, what does that mean in practice Yeah. So um, there are some companies who label their products fragrance-free and unscented is kind of another conversation. Unscented could mean fragrance-free, but it also means that they could add chemicals to block your ability to, it kind of manipulates your your olfactory system to make you think that it's fragrance-free when it's really not. I can smell those things a mile away. So unscented isn't safe for me. Um, Fragrance-free is closer, but then you still have to read the ingredients to see if they've used um, chamomile or lavender, because technically it's not a synthetic fragrance, but it's an essential oil that has a high probability with MCSers to be um, another reactive agent. So, and there's another part that um, the general public doesn't know. If a product in the United States is being um, sold as a soap under FDA guidelines, you don't even have to disclose the ingredients, which is frightening when you have reactions and you, your safety and your your function. Um, rely on knowing what those ingredients are and the transparency of that. Um, If they start making claims that, you know, it moisturizes and exfoliates, then it's cosmetics. Now they have to actually label it. Um, And then if they make uh, claims that it heals something, now they're a drug and FDA can have all sorts of fun with them. But part of the problem is, is we also have the issue of fragrances. So there have been a multitude of products that are labeled fragrance-free and you flip it over and on the ingredients list, it says fragrances. And how does that happen? That doesn't even make sense. But they can also hide 
um, ingredients in that fragrance label on the, uh, on the ingredients list. Um, so <laughs> the big companies, uh, they have shareholders, stockholders, they have, um, their market is whoever will buy their product. And, um, when, and I've done this, I've done this with, I won't mention the name of the company. I've done this with, um, very large profile companies when products started coming in and, uh, and they were no longer safe for me. And I'd call and say, I need to talk to you about this. I think you need to know that this product is no longer, uh, uh, safe. They're never gonna, they're never gonna admit to it. They, they just don't. They hide behind, um, you know, it's proprietary and, um, you know, they, they'll say it's a formula change, but you don't know what that formula change is. And I've never seen a company yet. I've been looking. I've never seen a company that when they change their formula, it's better for the health of the end user. Um, because that's not their mission. They, we also have the issue that if they do a fragrance free, it's a one off and it's produced on the same equipment as the fragrance products. It's being, you know, if it's a soap like ours, it's being cured in a space with fragranced products. It's being stored in a warehouse with the other fragranced products and it will absorb it there. And then it's being sold on the shelf next to fragranced products. So. Um, I think it's really that focus. Um, so when uh, a customer reaches out to Canary Whiskers and says, hey, I wanted to ask you this question because I have, you know, uh, like I have a salicylate allergy and I need to know I'm interested in the heritage. I'm interested in that, you know, tallow, but um, I need to ask questions about it. I'm going to answer them because I want them to have the best information so they can make an, an informed decision um, because I'm okay with losing that sale if that information keeps them safer. So I don't know, I guess maybe it's just the focus. Like I intentionally set up the business to where profits weren't the main goal. Um, so that I could respect where the customers were at, um, because, and, and there have been some customers that say, you know, um, I tried it and something didn't work. I think, uh, at least one of them, we figured out that, um, when you make soap, it, you end up with soap salts and glycerin. And we're now suspecting that maybe glycerin is a problem for that particular customer, they wouldn't know that unless I was transparent about the rest of it. Um, and I really don't have a very big ego and I don't have much to hide. So <laughs> I'd rather, I'd rather them have good information so that they can, you know, manage their health and their lives in a way that they choose. Some people who are listening may be considering or thinking about at some point, maybe starting a business of their own, you know, that mm -hmm. allows people to um, sustain themselves, that that allows people to support themselves and uh, be in a safe space, right? Because we know that working in the, in the world can often be very challenging. So 
if I'd love to ask you some questions sort of in that area of things. Um, mm-hmm. Did it take a lot of research to, to start? I know you'd been making soap for a long time, but was there a lot of research and time and financial resources to start your own company? Yeah, um, I had been making soap for a long time. So that wasn't, um, that wasn't where I had to really spend any time uh, researching. Um, I, I did dig deeper into, um, you know, ingredients and cross contaminations. And, um, you know, if I source this product, is it going to, you know, that's the, the oats are probably the easiest, um, uh, the easiest example. We ended up because I couldn't find um, you know, for the honey oat goat milk. You end up with those ingredients on it, one of the oil bases, and I couldn't find any oats that were sourced where they were um, organic and gluten free. So I actually had to get the whole oats and then grind them myself so that I could uh, optimize that particular segment. So there was a lot of um, uh, digging deeper on the ingredient side, just to make I make sure I had checked out as much of my want list as possible. Um, as far as like production, I had to do a lot of research on how, how to go from small batch to um, more production style small batch. So I have what I call the cauldron. I can make a hundred pounds of soap in one uh, session. And that uh, ended up being, you know, which uh, blender do you use for it? And so I had to find a blender that had detachable wands so that each oil base has its own shaft, its own uh, um, mixer, essentially. And so there was a lot of R&D, a lot of research and development development on that side of it. And then I had to learn website design and learn packaging design because um, though I hired that out, I, I later found out that they really made a mess of things, um, which is unfortunate. But um, it is one of the things that if I take the time, I can learn that as well. And I won't pretend to be to excel at it, but I... I, I put together a passable website and passable packaging. I actually like the packaging better. Um, so uh, I had to do that. A lot of time, a lot of time was spent in, if I want to do this, what resources are available to make that happen? And where do I source them from? And one of the things that most people wouldn't know is um, every time, you know, new packaging came in, I had to sniff test it myself because I can't use if it use it for customers if it comes in fragranced and it certainly is not going to be in my workspace if it's fragranced. So everything was I'll buy a sample, sniff test it, then I'll buy a, a slightly larger amount of it, sniff test it again, and then I'll commit to that company. Um, tons of that, and I I ate a lot of expense in um, uh, products that are, you know, like products like packaging and molds and stuff like that, that simply could not be used because they came from the vendor fragranced. And, and that's kind of a devastating dance 
to have to go through, but necessary if you're going to run a, a company like this. So lots and lots of time in there. Um, expense. Yeah. I worked, um, a year longer than I wanted to, uh, at my day job just to take the profits from it to use for, um, startup capital. And it was in a privileged position that I could do that. Um, the job that I, uh, my day job, um, is something that can be done remote and a lot of MCSters do not have that particular advantage. So, um, I did the best way that I could to, to make the stars align the way that, uh, that they could so that, um, you never know what a new business is going to do, but I needed to make sure that it was going to sustain, even if, you know, a pandemic hits. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we tried to be really strategic in the way that we set everything up. So, so that, uh, this, this, um, uh, business that we made that that was going to impact people's lives directly was going to sustain as long as possible. Hi, it's Aaron. Just pausing briefly to say thank you for listening to the Chemical Sensitivity Podcast. You're listening to episode 32. It's called Canary Whiskers Fragrance-Free Soap. I'm speaking with Rebecca, founder of the Canary Whiskers Soap Company, that makes completely fragrance-free and essential oil-free cold-processed soap for people with MCS. Thanks so much for listening, and please subscribe where you get your podcasts. If you'd like to support the podcast, please find links on the website, chemicalsensitivitypodcast.org. Your support will help us continue making the podcast available and creating greater awareness about MCS. This podcast belongs to the community. The purpose is to advocate for all of us and your help really means a lot. Thank you very much. If it's too personal, let me know, but did it allow you to transition out of your your previous job? Um no, the the business is still enough in its infancy that um it does not it sustains itself, which is good. That's what it needs to do, but it's not um something that I can say, oh yes, I definitely I make a good living doing it. Um it's still in its infancy, it's just not there yet. Um and part of it is I was surprised, and this is a little more on the personal side, but we started working on this in uh 2019. And at the time I had been um being shut out of a lot of healthcare. And I thought for sure, I, I really thought there's no way I'm going to be five years down the line and still not have access to healthcare. And that's actually what's happened. We're four years later and I don't have any more access to healthcare. I'm the, um, I'm the soap maker. <laughs> so it's really important that I have access to healthcare because if I can't sustain the business can't sustain. And I don't like that. <laughs> um, because, you know, like there's, um, there's a lot of intersectionality when it comes to, to discrimination. But when the discrimination against me means I have to make long term plans with a company that affects other people like me, do I end up selling it? Do I close it down? Am I going to be around in two years? There's nothing about my health that's terminal. 
but the lack of access to health care is making me terminal. And we all have to gra- grapple with that. So do I leave this to my family? And uh, I'm the soap maker. Um, you know, I'm the one who has that interest. They, they help and they support and they're awesome. But this isn't their passion project. It's mine. So it's actually it, the discrimination I'm facing in those realms has a trickle-down effect because we're all interwoven in society. And it does cross borders because we have customers in Canada who also rely on our products. So um, right now, we're I'm trying to solve that problem so that I can say, okay, I'm going to be here long-term, and now I can do these other things with the soap company. And the other part is, I truly, um, there, there are some things that I would like to see the soap company do and become norm. But um, I also can't go shake people's hands, <laughs> you know, to make those contacts in businesses. But how amazing would it be for uh, stores, number one, to stop pumping fragrances and essential oils in through their HVAC systems? That needs to stop. Um, but why do people with fragrance reactions have to go into the health and beauty aid aisle or the laundry aisle and be blasted with the fragrances and the essential oils from those products to hunt out our fragrance-free options amongst the mess? What happens if they sequester the fragrance-free products or at least, you know, pull off enough of them onto an end cap so that people with MCS can go directly to that end cap and purchase their products safely, which would also be a presence for people without MCS to look at that and go, why do they have a fragrance-free end cap? Is that important to people? We would have an awareness and a visibility that we wouldn't otherwise have. But to get those concepts into the marketplace, we have to, we, people like me, have to be able to interact with the decision makers. And and so this, again, these barriers have a cascading effect. They compound. When you talk about the challenges with accessing healthcare, you're talking about difficulty or inability to access fragrance-free healthcare, I'm assuming? Um, yes. But as about four years ago, I actually didn't know until 2019 that I had a disability. Totally blew my brain. I was like, whoa, I have a disability? I didn't know that because I don't feel disabled by this condition. And then I started learning the civil rights laws in the United States. And this this is a disability. And whoa, we have rights? I didn't know we had rights. So I changed the language that I used when I um, call healthcare to, to, to establish care. And it's fascinating that when you identify as a person with a disability, the language of exclusion starts. They start adding qualifiers. You know, hopefully we can get you care. Well, but 
five seconds ago, you were talking like it's a given that I'm getting care. But now that I've said I have a disability, maybe we can get you care. Have you looked somewhere else? You should go somewhere else who doesn't use fragrances. And what they're doing in that process is making it a me problem. If I just kept looking, eventually I would find what I need. If I changed my ask, which I can't, eventually I would find what I need. Um, I've asked people, what's your goal for me? My goal is to get this health care. What's your goal for me? I had one actually tell me to answer your question. Okay, so why isn't the goal to get me care? <laughs> um, just there's a huge divide in the assumption of how much health care somebody with a disability should have versus how much health care somebody easier, a non-disabled person would have. And um, yeah, this is getting, it's getting very, very ugly. This fight is getting very ugly. And that may be because I have the ability to ask questions that reveal their real intent. And fragrance-free healthcare is actually incredibly easy. It's intentional, though. And they have to see value in this person with the disability asking for this care. And if they don't see that, you're done. You're not getting that care. So it usually boils down to go somewhere else, look further, try harder, ask more people, Eventually, you'll find the needle in the haystack. When the laws in the United States are written that a person with a disability has a right to all goods and services in their community. We're not experiencing that. We do not have the same experiences as non-disabled counterparts. And it's a huge burden. I call it a disability tax. It's a huge burden financially, time, resources, transportation, health. We're paying with our health. Uh, and yeah, some of us absolutely. are paying with our lives. Um, yeah. So I have a yeah. bit of a bent on that um, because um, when you don't have the ability to maintain your health, everything is predicated on that. Your ability to work depends on you maintaining your health or having that health care support. Um, your ability to maintain, you know, um, it, it's soul crushing to not be able to have health care. Um, it, it impacts your relationships. It impacts your choices. Um, it, it impacts your, uh, you have poor health outcomes in the United States, documented poor health outcomes when you're a person with a disability yeah. for no other reason than you had the nerve. How dare you have a disability? You're an inconvenience to the non-disabled counterparts. And yeah. it's particularly egregious when that's happening in the healthcare community and refusing patients or refusing people with um, uh, disabilities, access to health care, really reeks of disability eugenics. And maybe we shouldn't be doing that <laughs> um, because we do have documented poor health outcomes and shortened lifespans mm -hmm. because of this discrimination. Yeah. 
I appreciate you sharing all that. And um, it's definitely a topic that I want to explore on the podcast. I'm just not sure they're just, I'm just not sure who to talk to about that issue, but thank you so much for, you know, raising it and, and sharing what you've shared. I have two more questions for you and then I'd definitely be open to anything else you'd like to talk about. But uh, the first question is about for people who are listening, who may be considering starting their own business that allows them to, you know, to support themselves, earn a livelihood, make a livelihood and not be exposed to chemo, not be exposed to chemicals. Let me just take that again. I want to ask you one more question. I want to ask you about whether you have any idea. I want to ask you, Rebecca, do you have any feedback for people who may be listening, who may be considering embarking on their own venture, starting their own company to allow them to be safe in the world? I'm talking about people with with MCS. Do you have any feedback or wisdom for people? Do it. Don't do it. Um. Yeah, uh, there, there's a couple different pieces of it. When you're looking into starting any business of any sort, um, check out in the United States, we have small business associations. And in my state in particular, they really want to promote small businesses. So they have um, free counselors through that service who will walk you through and, and ask you to develop, you know, the concept of what you're trying to, um, what market you're serving. So, of course, you know, check out any any free resources really helpful when you're starting a new business. Um, check your uh, local state and um, uh, federal laws. Incredibly important. You want to make sure that you uh, that's just good business one on one. And like, I don't, I don't do accounting, hire an accountant. <laughs> that's not your wheelhouse. Outsource the things that you can but having said that, there's a lot of stuff that people sell you services on where you could actually just do it yourself. So, you know, really take stock of who who you are, how you operate, um, and what would be easy for you to do yourself or what would be more valuable to outsource in that process. And after that, um, you know, because it could be anything, you could be selling a service, you could be selling a product, um, kind of take stock of who your customers are and what's important to them. How are those needs being met? Because I can say as a soap maker, the number of times, and it makes me want to scream sometimes, the number of times that people have told me that you have to have at least one product with fragrance. You don't want to, you know, there's such a huge market for people who have, who want fragrance. And there's truth to that. If you watch people at a farmer's market, they go up to the soap stand, they pick up the soap and they sniff it. It's what they do. They're not my customers. So I knew that and out of sheer necessity, I knew that that like that was almost predefined for me because of who I am and what I can and can't do and what I'm trying to put out into the world. So it was very easy for me to say, that's not me. You can stop telling me to you to have fragranced products. That's never going to happen. And I could put a hard stop there. Um, 
identify where your hard stops are. Identify what you're putting out. And we are a community, generally speaking, just the disabled in general, are a community of limited resources. Um, it just happens. So anytime you can coordinate with somebody else, um, barter services, you know, if somebody's like, hey, I'm really good at making uh, websites and I can't make soap, that's my brain doesn't work there. Cool. If I make you soap, will you make my website? <laughs> you know, you can economize in that um, uh, just by kind of intentionally thinking it through to, to its logical conclusion. There's power in that. And, um, and, and this is your business. You run it the way you want to run it. Uh, opinions are nice. Thank you for your opinion. But ultimately, it's you. You get to decide. And um, it's an unfortunate truth. But when you start small businesses, especially when you have equipment and like for us, uh, we cure the olive oil soap for nine months. So we have to pay for the oils and let the product sit there for nine months before it can be sold. All of those factor into it. So economize where you can because our dollars are limited. But if you're going to spend more money on it, make sure it has the most value to, to the process because the whole goal is for you to be able to reach the customers you want to reach and for, for people with MCS, that is an unconventional process just because we have other limitations to, to consider. So, um, yeah, and we don't fit into cookie cutter anything. <laughs> so um, a lot of it is we have to we have to decide where we're going and forge that new um, territory because you're likely stepping into a realm that hasn't been stepped into before. Or you may be doing something that other people have done before. You may be making rugs. That's fine. But then how do you market those rugs if you can't be in person? Those are unique to MCS. May I ask one more question about whether you view your soap making as a form of advocacy? is on the website. I mean, I'm, I think you do, but I just would love to hear more. But on your website, it's really interesting to see that you write, we care about the air we all share. Join us in our mission to avoid fragrances, lowering the toxic burden in our shared air spaces. Do you want to say a little bit about whether you view canary whiskers and your work as a form of advocacy? Um, yeah, I actually wanted to use Canary Whiskers as um, a, a, a platform, as a, a springboard for a lot of advocacy. Um, and sometimes our best laid plans get changed through no fault of our own. So um, that is still in the background. I, I think there's a lot of potential to using Canary Whiskers as a voice for um at first, it was a voice for MCS, and then I realized that a lot of people have reactions to fragrances and essential oils, whether or not they they um, uh, progress to the point of MCS. 
And then I realized through, through learning more about disability, the intersectionality of these things is amazing. So like there are people on the autism spectrum, which a lot of times has a sensory component and they're having physical therapy in a facility that fragrances the facility. So you're taking, let's say, children who are in occupational therapy and you're triggering the very thing you're supposed to be teaching them to, you know, therapy for. It, It makes no sense. And so there's a huge potential there. And uh, unfortunately, because I'm kind of a one one me show in the process of setting that up. And I had all these visions, you know, like uh, we have miniature soap and I could put together, you know, displays for, you know, to go into the healthcare facilities so that you're kind of almost direct marketing to the client, to, to the other patients and, and you're doing education and you can send, you know, um, you know, packets of information to healthcare facilities. I actually still want to do all of that. And I got derailed by trying to get my own healthcare needs met and they're still not met. So now for the moment, I'm in um, a lot of learning the legal, the disability, the mechanisms, uh, the systemic mechanisms that are causing us to still not have equal access to healthcare. And I have a feeling as that piece of it resolves, the two will marry together. And the information that I put out to the healthcare facilities is going to now have more quality information about their legal obligations under U.S. anyway, federal laws. Um, so I think the, the two sides will come together and they're not there yet, but they need to be because fragrance usage in healthcare settings is obnoxiously bad in the United States. And I know you guys have a lot of the same problems in Canada and um, it's very strange that they don't that they don't hear us. They think there's actually a, a study out of Harvard that um, doctors view patients with um, um, disabilities as an entitled population. Like we're pushy, we ask too much. I certainly understand that. I've experienced that myself. I think a lot of us probably have. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, so the question is, how do you break through that? And, and one of the things that fascinates me is why do we get so much resistance there? And I think, I'm not sure, but I have a high suspicion that um, like latex allergies are understood in the med- medical community, though they only affect plus minus 15% of the population in the U.S. We are people with fragrance reactive, uh, fragrance reactions, whether or not they they hit the um, uh, level of disability. That's around plus minus 30%. So we're twice as many people and we have zero legitimacy when it comes to the medical community. Um, And just so I've said it, yes, these conditions are real. (laughs) It's just getting them to understand what it looks like for us. 
And then my question was, why? Why is that true? And in a, I have epiphanies all the time. I have little vignettes that run in my head. Um, we don't uh, um, bottle latex and sell it as a personal identity. We bottle fragrance and sell it as a personal identity. So the very people in healthcare that you're asking to accommodate you, asking for that assistance, the likelihood is extremely high that they're one of the offenders. You're asking somebody who is part of the problem to fix the problem. And because fragrance is sold as a personal identity, they see you as a personal attack to them. And no amount of asking nicely seems to get past that. Um, so yeah, yes. there's, I wish I could clone myself. I need about a hundred of me so that I can, you know, disperse me all over the place to, to deal with all of these advocacy issues. Because the more I press for my personal health care, the more I'm uncovering all of these other things. And yeah. um, they play into to people with MCS, other disabilities, other marginalized identities. The same mechanisms are being used across the board to silence the voice of many people who are, um, uh, who are in the minority. And yeah. if we can connect those dots... We all together have a bigger voice. So lots of stuff. <laughs> and um, yeah. and I think the soap company ends up being part of that voice. Um, and, and I think that will end up changing over time how we best use that. Yeah, it's fascinating hearing you talk about all of that and how it all comes together. Before we go, I want to ask you one more question about the name Canary Whiskers. Um, that actually came from my, from my daughter and, uh, Canary, because we are generally speaking called, uh, people with MCS for, for listeners who didn't know this. Um, we are the canary in the coal mine. Um, literally we are the warning sign that this stuff is going to eventually kill all of us. It's just hitting us harder now. So um, society would be very wise to listen to us. We are the warning system. We are the canary in the coal mine. Um, whiskers, because my daughter is freakishly feline, and um, uh, it, it's kind of the, um, you know, cats with their, their sense of smell. And, uh, and we just went, that works. I like it. <laughs> So it was it was one of those uh, uh, late night brainstorm sessions and it stuck. So canary whiskers. It's wonderful. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for taking time for for everything you've shared. Um, this discussion has gone in different directions that I wasn't expecting, but it's all been really fascinating. So I'm really grateful to you for talking with me and sharing your story and all of your insights and knowledge. Thanks so much. You're very welcome. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. That brings us to the end of this episode of the Chemical Sensitivity Podcast. Thank you very much to Rebecca from Canary Whiskers for speaking with me. We release new episodes twice a month. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
The podcast is produced by me, Aaron Goodman, with assistance from Casey Wallstra. I'm grateful to listeners who support the podcast. If you'd like to make a monthly contribution or a one-time donation, please find links on the website, chemicalsensitivitypodcast.org. Your support will help us continue making the podcast available and creating greater awareness about MCS. The podcast belongs to the community. The purpose is to advocate for all of us, and your help means a lot. Thank you very much. Find us on social media. Just search for the Chemical Sensitivity Podcast or Podcasting MCS. Leave your comments about anything you hear on the podcast, and please share the podcast with others. Find the podcast on YouTube. Just go to YouTube and search for the Chemical Sensitivity Podcast. Click subscribe, and you can read captions in any language you like. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's a great way to help others learn about the podcast. And if there's someone you'd like to hear interviewed on the podcast or a topic you'd like us to explore, just let us know. Email info at chemicalsensitivitypodcast.org. And thanks for listening.